Hey everyone, we have received exceptional support for the Diaries Plus. It means so much to us. It's been a tough year for us. We're down on sponsors, but you keep lifting us up and making this show possible. And because of that, we get to keep making more cool shows for you. So today we're releasing a new series on Diaries Plus called Good, Good, Bad. Trips, adventures, and fiascos that define our lives. On New Year's Eve 2023, Mason Gravelly slid a stand-up paddleboard into the tannin-stained waters of Lake Okeechobee and embarked on an adventure he's been dreaming of for years, an unsupported crossing of one of our country's biggest lakes. Between the weather, toxic algae, and alligators, he was told it was preposterous. But Mason's journey was a culmination of years of Florida adventures and a passion for conservation. Here's a little taste of the first good, good, bad episode, Alligator Lake. Wherever you are is an adventurous place to people that aren't from there. And so it's like, I'll be honest, right now at this point in my life, I would never leave within an hour or two of my home if I could. And I'd probably, that's probably going to change at some point. But right now, that's like my reality. And I did not see that coming. Like, I I would have laughed at you if you you said that's the way you're going to think in five years. And so... It, it, all of us have to go through it. Like, oh, adventure is elsewhere or life and fulfillment and what we're looking for is elsewhere. And I think part of maturing and just part of just living this life is one, going through that. And two, <laughs> realizing everything you need is right here. You know, how many times have people told us that, but it, it takes learning it yourself, you know? Subscribe to Plus Now for the full story and access to all new episodes. As always, Thank you for your support. Now, on to the show. All right, Becca, set the scene for everyone. Where are we at? So, we are in the Crystal parking lot, camped out in our 1969 vintage Aloha trailer. It is about 16 feet long, 8 feet wide, and... It feels huge to drive, and very tiny when you're inside (laughs) of it. Like, it sounds so big when you say it like that. It does sound so big. And then you put two humans and two small humans in there and a whole bunch of ski gear. And yeah, it gets it gets crowded quickly. Yeah. But we have been hanging out here for the last few days. It's five days until Christmas. It's been snowing. It's been cascade snowing, which means it's raining. But it's been a lot of fun. And it feels like this little place where we can escape from the mundane chores of of life in the the house for sure so it's the holidays and i had a question for you what do you have a favorite gift you've ever received or been given yeah i do the year that you gave me a hut trip for christmas so wiley had recently turned one tepid just turned five and we'd had a tradition since we came to Seattle of going on hut trips with a group of our friends. And we had had to skip a few years because of having Teplin and Teplin came one year. And then one year your mom took Teplin and, you know, going into having two kids, it was something that we're like, okay, well, we're going to probably have to take some time off of this. But, you know, it was like kind of on the forefront of like, at some point we'll get back to that. And that Christmas, I was definitely not thinking that that was <laughs> the time, but, you know, and I think, and, and I know you gave me the gift and 
And I was like, wow, this is amazing. And here's all the reasons why this is not going to work. And you were just so steady and you're like, no, like I can do this and you can do this. And, and it was one of those things that it was a push for me to get back out and like, kind of re like start to reimagine like life as both a mom of two and also having like individuality to myself and you were the only person that could have given me that gift because you had to give so much of yourself. You had to take on all the responsibility to like have the boys for 10 days and have like, and navigating that as a solo parent. So I had a great time with the boys, you yeah. know? No. And I, the day that I left, I cried pulling out of the driveway and about 10 minutes down the road, I was like, okay, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to do this. And it feels, it feels totally normal. So it was great. And, I just love that it was something that pushed me and in a way that I wasn't expecting and, and that I got a lot out of it. Cool. Well, today we have a story from producer Ashley Langholz about a one-of-a-kind gift. It goes wrong before it goes right. <laughs> I'm Fitz. And I'm Becca. You're listening to The Dirtbag Diaries. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. Some of my earliest memories are of people gathering in homes together and sh telling stories about their experiences or about their travels or their expeditions. And the word expedition to me was just part of my language growing up. Becca Skinner comes from a long line of adventurers. The roots of her family tree are wrapped around the rocks of the American West. And they have generations worth of stories about outfitter camps, first ascents, gold panning, and ghost towns. My dad and my grandfather climbed Everest. They didn't end up summiting. But my dad used to come into my classrooms as a kid and give a presentation about Everest and pass around his crampons. And all the kids were like, wow. And I was like, yeah, that's just what we do. And the apple didn't fall far from the tree. Armed with knowledge, a camera, and a bit of stubbornness, Becca has covered miles and miles of trails across the West with her dog Vita, short for Vitavu, named after the popular climbing area in Wyoming. Becca's parents share a love of the outdoors as well. The couple climbed Chimborazo on their honeymoon. And to celebrate their 30th wedding anniversary in 2014, they took Becca, her sister Alyssa, and her brother Robert back to Ecuador. Becca and her siblings retraced some of their parents' steps and heard stories that never came up at the dinner table at home. The trip quickly became one of Becca's favorite experiences with her family. This whole sort of trip was about the experience of all being together as adults and celebrating them and showing us this part of their marriage and history that we hadn't known. And so it set me off on this big kick of gifting experiences because it was so fun. I felt like I got to know my parents in Ecuador more 
than I had ever really known them just because of the environment and we were sitting down at the table like all of us had disbanded for college and you know you just don't have those sorts of all sit down conversations until you're at a holiday so that year for Christmas I decided that I was going to gift us as a family a snowshoeing trip to a fire lookout Now, a typical Christmas holiday for Becca's family is, dare I say, typical. Think more meals and conversations around the table, less carrying backpacks and dashing through the snow. But Becca wanted to recreate the feeling she had in Ecuador. She wanted to give her family an experience, a story, something they'd talk about later. And by the time the holidays arrived, she had her gift planned perfectly. We celebrate Christmas and we give each other gifts, but a very, I feel like, important part of this is you have to write clues on your gifts, which is one of my favorite traditions that we do. So it will say to mom from Becca, and then it'll have like a little rhyme or a hint. And so we all sit in a circle and have a a small pile of gifts in front of us. And then one at a time, we open a gift in front of everyone and then it goes to the next person. Becca wrapped a series of small gifts she thought would be useful for the trip and put one in front of each of her family members. Her excitement grew as she watched them all open the gifts. Boxed wine for her sister, bananagrams for her mom, a pair of snowshoes for her dad. She gave her brother a headlamp and the grand finale. My brother got a card, and the card was the reveal of the adventure that we were doing. <laughs> they had no idea what they were, what they were in for. Becca expected her parents and siblings to immediately join in her excitement. It would be beautiful. They'd snowshoe. They'd toast to the holiday. They'd play games. They'd have good conversations, just like they had in Ecuador. But instead of Stoke, Becca's family had some questions. I remember my dad saying, well, when are we going? And I was like, tomorrow. You know, my answers were like just so joyous and happy, like, can you even believe it? And I think my sister said, well, how are we even going to get up there? I'm like, I I rented everyone's snowshoes. We're going to pick them up tomorrow morning. And the questions were full of doubt and maybe a little bit of nervousness. And no one was immediately jumping on board to this idea. I'll put it that way. Did it make you think twice about what had to get pulled together so quickly? You know, I think that sometimes this is where the stubbornness comes in. Because when I have an idea, I was like, no one is going to talk me out of doing this because this is a great idea. I just gave the best Christmas gift and everyone is going to thank me later. I think I was just so tunnel vision on doing it that maybe the the nervousness wasn't properly addressed. Becca was pretty well versed in packing a bag and hitting the trail. At the time, she rented a room in Montana, but often base camped out of her truck. Between overnights in the backcountry and working as an outdoor and conservation photographer, she was pretty dialed. 
but that wasn't necessarily the case for her siblings and parents. They all had a lot of experience hiking and camping and snowshoeing, but now spent a lot less time with backpacks and more time going to a job or school. Plus, they didn't know about the trip until the day before they left. So in many ways, packing was the beginning of the adventure. We were, like, pulling sleeping bags from the back of my parents' closet. Like, will this one be warm enough or this one? And everything that they have at that time was stuff that they had used in their field time as geologists or growing up at the outfitter camp. So it's not like it was the newest high-tech, ultralight, fit into your 60-liter pack sleeping bag. It was like a big downy sleepy bag because that's what they had. The next day, everything took a little longer than expected. They stuffed their backpacks with their warmest gear. All five of them, plus Vita, piled into the car. They filled up with gas and picked up the snowshoes from the outfitter. It was early afternoon before they were finally on the road, chasing the sun west out of Denver. We got... A very late start. Like, not a late alpine start. Like, we got to the trailhead at 3 p.m. You immediately pull off the highway and you try and park on the side in this small little pullout. And we pull in and we immediately get the car stuck. And we get the car unstuck and everyone's sort of loading their backpacks very slowly. And then a car pulls in beside us and they get stuck. And so we help them out. And by the time we start hiking, it's like 4.45. The Skinners were on the trail just in time to catch the blue hour over the Rockies. The three-mile trail to the lookout followed a steep dirt road that was covered in snow. Morale was high. Becca remembers looking at her family and Vita on the trail and smiling. It was the gift she was hoping for. The fun of snowshoeing was great for like 500 yards, and then everyone realized that they had to do this for three miles. But all of us are so stubborn that we wanted to do it. And I think that the general mood was like everyone was cold. No one was having a great time, but no one wanted to be the person who said, okay, let's turn around. So the Skinner family kept going. Ten snowshoes and four paws crunched over the cold snow toward the lookout. On par with the day's events, the approach was taking longer than Becca anticipated. At over 10,000 feet above sea level, they moved at a modest pace. It was getting darker and colder with each step. And the weather forecast that Becca doesn't recall consulting was starting to reveal itself. By this point, it had started to just snow. Like, not a nice snow, but sideways blizzard snow. And it's getting dark, so we, everyone's moving slowly, and it's cold. And my dad's beard just gets more and more icy. Somewhere near the top, I had Vita with me, and she just refused to walk anymore. Becca lifted Vita onto her shoulders. While the rest of the Skinners may be stubborn, Vita is not, and didn't take issue with being the one to ask that they stop or turn around. But they pushed on. It was pitch dark when Becca's headlamp finally hit the lookout. She ran ahead past the trail sign that read 11,486 feet above sea level. 
With frozen hands, she opened the key box and typed in the code. The code I have wasn't working. So I'm starting to panic and I must have like in my panic just kept typing it in wrong because when my sister came up beside me and recited the code again, we did it very slowly and it it popped open. Becca, Alyssa, and Vita ducked inside. The two-story lookout cabin was built in the 1940s by the Civilian Conservation Corps. The top floor was a 14-foot by 14-foot room, completely lined by windows. There were two beds and in the center a rotating map that was once used to locate fires. Below was a room made of stone with concrete walls with a kitchen, table, and bunk beds. And I had been telling everyone on the hike up where everyone was getting very cold that they shouldn't worry because in every fire lookout there's a wood stove. So I would get up there first, I would start the wood stove, and then I'd come back. And I get inside, and the whole top is made out of glass. And there's a space heater. No wood stove. A space heater and a wood stove aren't the same. What were you thinking when they were walking up? Oh, sh- after the break the rest of the family arrives at the lookout and the skinners try to make the most out of their frozen situation stay with us and support comes from kuat racks they just released the ibex an overlanding truck bed rack that handles substantial loads both on and off the grid because being off the grid is dope. Constructed from lightweight yet durable aluminum, the black powder coat is made for all the nature you can throw at it. Available in six different frame sizes to accommodate most truck models, the Ibex is engineered for adventure with versatile full and half-height configurations. For more details, visit kuat.com. Kuat, because you will absolutely love this bed rack and all the dope places you go. In hopes to take a little of the edge off, Becca turned the space heaters on full blast, one upstairs and one downstairs. Becca's parents and brother arrived shortly after. They all took a few minutes to organize their gear and settle in. The wind howled outside. With little to no relief from the heaters, Becca started feeling guilty and a little nervous. My dad didn't end up somebody in Everest because he had pulmonary edema. And I remember him sitting in the top of the lookout coughing. And I was like, I just took my dad on this trip that he's going to get super sick. Like it just sounded like what I would imagine pulmonary edema to sound like. Fortunately, the longer they were inside, the less Becca's dad coughed. Still, the morale was pretty low. The trip was looking quite a bit different than what Becca had originally imagined. No grand stories told around the table. No games played. No interest in drinking boxed wine. Not even a warm wood stove. No one's having fun. Everyone's cold. Everyone's hungry. It's too early to go to bed because it's like 6.30. But no one takes off their layers. Everyone is just so cold. They ate what Becca says was an unremarkable dinner. Well, Becca did her best to keep the spirits up, or at least keep them from fully plummeting. For dessert, she packed in a cheesecake mix to celebrate her dad's birthday, which also falls in late December. 
But despite her best efforts, Becca's excitement was not reciprocated. When my dad gets angry (laughs) or like really stubborn, he won't make eye contact. He was wearing all of his layers and his hood was up over his head. And I remember him just looking down at the table and I was like, this is your birthday cake, dad. You love cheesecake. We got to eat this cheesecake. And he was like, no. And I, I think I said, can you just take like the bite of it? Because it wasn't even, it wasn't warm cheesecake. It was like a no bake. Let me pour this freezing water in and let it sit here. So it was just cold cheesecake in a cold room where, where everyone was cold. Becca successfully persuaded everyone to eat the nearly frozen cheesecake. It was the price they paid for being granted permission to crawl into their sleeping bags and go to bed. They discussed the sleeping arrangements while Becca cleared the table. I remember shoving all of the dishes next to the refrigerator and just like laughing out loud that there was a refrigerator. I was like, this is comical. It's warmer in the refrigerator than it is in this room. As they dispersed, Robert asked his dad how the temperature compared to his time on Everest. And my dad said, this is much colder than Everest. I think everyone laughed. Just the idea that either in his memory or truly that this was colder than his climb on Everest made it feel like it put the adventure meter (laughs) at a higher level. The mood lifted just a little, thinking about big adventures and also perhaps knowing they'd soon be wrapped in their sleeping bags. Becca's parents said goodnight and went to bed in the upper room. The three siblings pulled the mattresses off the bunk beds and onto the floor so they could stay warmer together. Becca, Alyssa, Robert, and Vita all lined up in a row next to the tiny space heater. I don't even think that it rotated. Like, I think that it just stayed in one spot. And so the middle spot where we were spooning, like, whoever got the middle, was directly in front of the space heater. And I feel like we kind of jokingly shuffled each other out of the middle. And I I don't remember who ended up. It was probably Vita. By 8 p.m., they tucked into their sleeping bags, not because they were tired, but because they were too cold to do anything else. So they talked. I remember laying there and my brother said something like, this is really cool that we're all together do you think we'll still do stuff like this when we're married? I think he even said something like, let's not get married, okay, guys? Like, <laughs> And uh, there was a real sweetness in that of just knowing that, that it didn't matter how hard or cold it was. It was just, um, it was time together. The lookout was quiet and still when Becca woke in the morning. Wrapped in her sleeping bag, she savored a few extra minutes in bed before getting up. She climbed up the stairs to where her mom and dad were sleeping. The wood door creaked when she opened it. I remember (laughs) just like half-heartedly asking how they slept. And both parents were still in their sleeping bags laying down. And it was like 8 in the morning. For reference, they get up at like four and five o'clock. So 
the fact that they were still in their sleeping bags and then they barely sat up and looked at me, I was like, ooh, that's not even a safe question to ask. The morning sun warmed the glass room, even if only by a little. Through the frozen windows, they could see the snow-covered Rocky Mountains in every direction. And the sky had cleared and it was a really beautiful and freezing cold morning. You know when it's that really deep cold and you're in an alpine spot where everything just turns to these really fine crystals, everything's glittery? It was so beautiful. Becca went down the stairs and started to make breakfast, determined not to hike down with the Nalgene full of eggs she'd hiked up with. Her parents came down soon after, and they all sat around the table. The mood was lighter than the night before, and it didn't take long before the talking turned to laughing. Everyone was a little bit lighter, just because we had made it through the night and no one was hypothermic. After breakfast, they stuffed their backpacks and headed out. This time it was daylight and downhill. The awe of winter in the Rocky Mountains was in full effect, with bright blue skies and fresh white snow. As we were hiking down and we finally got to the car, my dad kind of laughed and he was like, you know, that was fun, but I hope you don't try and outdo yourself next year. The Skinner family now jokes that this was the worst, best vacation they've ever taken. Memories are malleable, and Becca admits that she looks back with rose-colored glasses. As she and her family tell the story, each time it gets funnier and more exaggerated. The mishaps make the story better. When they talk about it now, they don't even totally agree on some pretty basic details of the trip. And in my mind, it was like a mile, maybe a mile and a half, and my dad was like, no, 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 it was like five miles. My mom was like, no, guys, it was three. Looking back now, those types of details don't seem to matter so much. It lives in family lore as the year Becca gave them a cold and slightly miserable night at a fire lookout. I would say in most ways, that's absolutely not what I was going for in giving that gift. But in terms of giving an experience where we could share that and bond over something that was hard or something that was cold or about how I made everyone eat cheesecake. I think in that way, yeah, it was exactly what I wanted. I wanted to give them this gift of adventure and fun and play and experience and outside and weather and like all of these things. And I think walking away with or remembering it as a story of all of us together where something was hard and we are on the other side of it laughing about it. It's like, wow, that was, that was perfect. Thank you to Becca and the Skinner family for sharing your story. You can find Becca online at BeccaSkinnerPhotography.com or follow Becca Skinner on Instagram. Our stories come from friends, from friends of friends and from you, our community. If you have a compelling idea for a guest or a story lead, please give us a shout. You can use the submission form on our website, DirtbagDiaries.com. Music today from Bradley Carter, Kai Engel, Cloud9, and Brendan O'Connell. 
The tracks are courtesy of the artists or Free Music Archive. Jacob Bain and Nice Koto composed our theme song. You can find links to the artists at our website, dirtbagdiaries.com. This episode was produced by Ashley Langholtz and edited by Becca Cajal and me, Cordelia Zars. The illustrations by Walker Cajal and graphics by Anya Miller. Becca Cajal is our executive producer. Fitz Cajal is our creative director. They're both skiing at the moment. I'm Cordelia Zars. You've been listening to the Dirtbag Diaries. Hope you have a safe, healthy, and happy holiday. Go play in the snow. Thanks for tuning in.